All right. So um, the first thing I ever gave Kathy, the first gift I ever got her was wrong. Uh, I screwed it up. So we were in college, and we've been dating probably a couple months, and I wanted to impress her and like get her, give her a gift. And I'm not a big flowers guy, and she's not a big flowers girl. So I was like, okay, what can I do to, to make her happy, to impress her? Sure, I'm willing to throw some money at this. Uh, and so I got her a pair of shoes that she had been talking about. And at that time, uh, there was a shoe called the Adidas Superstar. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get her the Adidas Superstar that's super popular. Everybody's wearing these things. So I got her the Superstars, but I got her the wrong ones. You can see a picture there. I got her the pair on the right, which is the Adidas Superstar, which is a little bit more girly, kind of a walking around downtown kind of a shoe. Um, but she's not really a girly walk around downtown kind of a girl. She wanted the Adidas Superstar SS2G, which is the ones on the left, a little bit more sporty, a little bit more basketball-ish, and that's more Kathy. And so she received the incorrect gift with grace. She was nice. She wore them a little bit um, and then got herself some of the other pair. So, so I screwed that up. But over time, and some of you have probably got to this point where you just tell each other what you want, like, I want this, get it for me. Okay, I want this. You get that for me, and we'll just meet in the middle. It'll be a good day for everybody. So we got to that point, um, and so a few years ago, she asked for um, a Detroit Tigers hat with a camo pattern, so camouflage Detroit Tigers hat. I thought I knew exactly what she wanted, so this is the hat I got for her. Pretty cool, but that was wrong. That was not <laughs> the right hat. It was an incorrect camo pattern. What she wanted was a different one. You can see there, she wanted the one on the right, just a different pattern. Okay, so I was close. It's a thought that counts. So the next year came around. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting her the right hat this time because she gave the other one away. I think she gave it to a nephew or something. So the next year came around. And I was like, that's the one she wanted. And I bought this hat. I bought the same exact wrong hat a second time because I didn't double check. And in my mind, like I forgot which one it was and it was kind of a coin flip. And I was like, yeah, that's the one she was. I got the wrong one last time. This is the right one, so I bought the wrong one again. Um, so now that's my hat. I wear that hat. Uh, and she bought herself. She stopped asking and just went and bought herself the hat. So, uh, so I'm a terrible gift giver. Some of you maybe assume, like, pastors make good husbands. No, they don't. Um, screwed up the gift giving. I'm not good at it. Because, like, sometimes we make gift giving really easy, and we still screw it up. Uh, so let me give you an example. How many of you are married? Keep your hands up if you're married. Now, keep your hands up if you are married and as part of the marriage process, you registered for gifts. You guys didn't register for gifts? Like the whole first service kept their hands up. Okay, so keep your hands up if you register for gifts. You guys didn't register at like Bed Bath & Beyond or Target or Amazon, anything like that? What's wrong with you people? Any, okay, so if you registered for gifts, how many of you received gifts that were not on your registry? Yeah, everybody's hands stayed up. Okay, so you guys can put your hands down. Now, you've probably been to a wedding where there's a registry or a bridal party or, or a bridal shower or whatever. Raise your hand if you have purchased and given a wedding gift that was not on the registry. See, shame on you people. <laughs> that is not how it works. We spend hours, and I can speak for the guys, you spend hours walking around Bed Bath & Beyond and maybe you do it online now and it's all on Amazon. I don't know. You walk around and it's like, yeah, yeah, I think the black pots are better than the almost black pots. Let's go for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Which pair of sheets are these? Oh, the third, the third set. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's great. And you, and you put in your time, and you work hard, and then people buy stuff that you didn't even register for. Or they buy like three versions of it because they didn't look at the list. And so even when we make gift giving easy, like buy me one of these five things, we still screw it up. But sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it right, and Christmas morning comes, and you got your kid the exact right gift, and they freak out, and they're running around the room screaming, or, or, or you just do the, you just figure it out, or you get your girlfriend the first expensive gift that you buy her, and she's like, we're at expensive gift mode. <laughs> it's getting serious, right? Are you, ladies, you surprise your husband with a night without the kids, and you get a babysitter, and he's like, yeah, sleeping day, right? <laughs> It's a big deal. So you have this tension between gift giving and gift receiving, and there's that communication that has to happen between there, and you have to trust the giver of the gifts to respond to your request, to respond to your list, to respond to what it is that you want, and there's that tension there. In a strange Jesus kind of way, that's the point that we come to here in the Sermon on the Mount, where if you haven't been with us, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Jesus basically flips the script on what people thought religion was about, what they thought faith was about, and says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to represent my kingdom, which is coming, this is how you live. This is what you look like. This is what it's about. And even in the midst of doing those things and living that way, it's not about being perfect. It's about Jesus. It's about the heart. It's about the motivation. And so we come to a point where he starts talking about prayer, which for them was kind of a foreign concept in a strange way. Even though they had grown up in a religious culture, they'd grown up around it, they grew up hearing about Old Testament prophets, about Old Testament heroes who prayed, people of old who talked to God and even heard from God. But God, at this point, as Jesus came on the scene, he hadn't been heard from in 400 years. No great prophets, no new scriptures. And so they heard about things. They knew that God used to talk to people and that people used to talk to God. But for them, basically... Priests talk to God, prophets talk to God, people a long time ago talk to God, but we don't really talk to God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, listen, this is part of life in my kingdom. Prayer is something you're called to do. It's something you're invited to do. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. And um, uh, A few weeks ago, we kind of referenced the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, this is how you pray. These are the things that you can hit. This is how you talk to God. And at this point in chapter 7, he kind of doubles down on that and revisits it again and expands on it a little bit more. So uh, we're going to talk about prayer. And the theme for today, I'm going to give it away. I know some of you go home exhausted because you're just in suspense. Like, what's the theme? What's he really going to land on? I'm just going to give it to you right up front. It's going to be nice and easy, okay? Prayer to a loving father is effective. Prayer to a loving father is effective. That's what we're going to kind of wrap ourselves around today. And, and some of you are thinking, I already knew that. I've been going to church my whole life. I went to Sunday school. Somebody taught me that. That's nothing new. Maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe you're not in awe of that. But that little truth, this one little passage that we're going to hit today, has a lot of truth in it. There's a lot that can be taken. And the couple big things we're going to hit is that there's confidence that God works on our behalf. And even in the midst of that, we can get glimpses of who he is. Who is this God that we pray to? He's, he's a God of love. And that's bigger than just God is love. Like, I grew up in church, and you sing the song, Praise Him, praise Him, all ye little children. God is love, God is love. That's nice. That's a nice song. My kids know that song, right? I can nail it like Brian and Miriam go away. I can sing. I can lead worship. 
But it's bigger than that. And you know that God loves the world, for God so loved the world, and that's a big deal. But it's even more than that. What we get down to is that God loves you. Yes, he loves the little children. Yeah, he loves the world, but he loves you. And at some point, if it hasn't happened already, at some point, that little truth is going to grab you in a special way. And you're going you're to feel the weight of that. But God loves you. And so today we're going to hit a couple things. One, how we pray, okay? That, the way that we approach prayer. And then number two, the fact that how we pray is impacted by who it is we're praying to. All kind of wrapped around the idea that prayer to a loving father is effective. So that's where we jump into Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or an app, uh, it'll be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So how we pray. We ask, we seek, we knock. And each one of these things makes a declaration as we take part in it. So the first one, asking. Asking makes the declaration, God, I have a need. God, there's something I don't know. God, I lack wisdom, I lack clarity, I lack information. We ask because there's a need that we can't fulfill. And prayer is a declaration of dependence on the one that we're praying to. And so prayer is a chance to lay down our lives and say, God, I can't, but I believe you can. And we position ourselves under his authority, under his power. And so whatever it is, we can say, I don't have it. I believe I need it. And I believe you are the one who can provide it. And so we make that declaration. There is a need that I can't take care of on my own. And so we're bringing that before God. We're asking. So in the midst of that asking, we're seeking. And seeking makes a second declaration. It makes the declaration, God, I want to know your heart. I want to know your will. I want to know and live out and experience your will in this issue, in this need, in this situation. And so just like in the Lord's Prayer where we say, your will be done, and just like in the Beatitudes in chapter 5, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who recognize that apart from Christ, they are broken, they are lacking, they do have needs. Blessed are the meek, those who come humbly, those who come without a heart of entitlement, but a posture of humility, seeking the heart of God, coming to desire his will and his heart alone. It's a declaration of dependence. Not on some genie in a bottle that gives us three wishes and has to do what we say, but we're coming and saying, I want my heart to be humbled below God's heart. It's that second declaration. I want to know your heart. And then the third one, knocking, as we're declaring our need, as we're declaring our dependence on his heart and his will and wanting to be conformed to that, we're also saying by knocking, God, I'm not going away. I'm going to keep asking. I'm not just asking one time and done. I'm continually coming back to the Lord. Lord, what is your will in this? God, how are we going to figure out this situation? Father, transform my heart into your heart and your will. Just like uh, there's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18 um, called The Persistent Widow. And this woman, I don't know what her issue is, but she keeps coming before a judge with some legal matter saying, I need you to act on my behalf. I need you to rule in my favor because this is happening. I can't solve it on my own. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough power. I don't have enough rights. I need you to step in. And he sends her away, and he sends her away, and he sends her away, and she keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And then finally he says, listen, I don't, 
really care about you. I don't really care about your God. But since you keep coming and keep coming and keep coming, I'm going to take care of this issue. Now go away. And Jesus uses that story to say, keep coming, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, keep going. Now, that's great. These declarations that we make and asking and seeking and knocking can be really awesome, but it can also be really annoying, okay? Many of you guys have kids or you have neighbors, and it gets to that point where they ask and ask and ask, or they're like, why, 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 can I, can I, can I? And you're like, get out of here. And you just want it to stop. And so it can, asking and seeking and knocking, that can be a really great thing, or it can be annoying depending on who's on the other side of the door, depending on who's on the other side of the request, depending on who's on the other side of the question. And so if Jesus, this God that we pray to, if he's a tyrannical leader, we're in trouble. Or if Jesus is a grumpy, ill-tempered, irritable old man, we're in trouble. And if Jesus is distracted and aloof or incapable of doing anything, then we're wasting our time. And so even as we come to him with the right posture, asking and seeking and knocking and making those declarations, even as we're doing that, how do we see him? Who are we praying to? Who is this God that we follow? Who is this God that we offer our asking to and our seeking and our knocking? And so from here, Jesus goes into an analogy, an analogy that we can all kind of relate to, um, and he uses it to show us who exactly is on the other side of the door that we're knocking on. Because we've all had those seasons, and maybe you're in one now where you're in need of healing, or you needed provision, you needed direction or wisdom, you needed some answers. Maybe there's a, a time in your life, even now, where there's lingering depression. Maybe, maybe you've gotten tired of being single or tired of being married and you need new life breathed into your marriage. Maybe, maybe you're living with a prodigal son or daughter, some difficult situation. Maybe it's a friend or a relative that you have prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. And sometimes it seems like God acts in our favor. Sometimes it feels like he rules against us. Sometimes it feels like we're just waiting and waiting and waiting and that's why today's truth is so vital. Prayer to a loving father is effective because when you're not sure and when things are dark and doubt creeps in and you're ready to give up and you're questioning who's really on the other side of the door, here comes Jesus. And he says, here's how things work in my kingdom. Here's how prayer works when I'm in charge. And so he continues on in chapter seven. <clears throat> he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's about who we pray to. And we can all relate to this scenario. Whether you have kids or not, you've been a gift giver, you've been a gift receiver. And whatever the occasion, you could talk about graduation parties, you could talk about birthdays or Christmas. If your kid has an Xbox... You're not going to buy them games for a Wii, okay? If your kid's going to college and asks for a laptop, you're not going to get them a typewriter and some whiteout. It's not how we do it. Like, nobody does that unless it's as a joke or you're just a terrible gift giver like me, whatever it is. But Jesus comes along and he says, if you're broken and you're sinful and you're selfish and you're clueless and you still know how to give good gifts and you still know how to be a good parent every once in a while, then how much better am I, a loving father, who's not tainted by sin, 
who's not broken, who's not clueless? How much better am I at knowing what you need and what you want? Because in him, there's no tyrannical nature. There's no grumpiness. There's no irritability. There's no distractions. It's not a waste of time. There's only righteousness and goodness and love and graciousness and generosity. And he says, how much more giving and generous am I? We talked about not worrying a few weeks ago, and he said, look at the birds. They, they just fly around and sing, and yet they eat so well. How much better am I going to feed you? And he says, look at the flowers. They just blow in the wind. They don't do anything, and yet look how beautiful I've clothed them. How much more will I clothe you? He loves us way beyond any of those things. And ultimately what he's saying is, I give good gifts, and the good gifts are gifts of the kingdom. And he says, if you love righteousness and purity... If you value being salt and light, if you're striving to live like me and live for me and represent the kingdom, if you're chasing me above all the rules and all the religion and all the temporal needs that people want, if we're living his way, if we're living for the kingdom, then God takes those kingdom gifts and just heaps them on, the, heaps them on us because those are the things we really need. So here's, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we pray for this and we get that. But if we ask for this and we get that, we can trust that he gives the best things. He gives us what's best. You say, Justin, I grew up in Sunday school too. I remember Psalm 37, 4. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yes, he will. He, he does. He's a great gift giver. He gives good things. There's things that I have. There's things that you do that, where we're like, how do I possibly get to enjoy this? Why do I get to go there? Why do I get to have this? Things that God gives us that are the desires of our heart. But it's not his heart giving into our desires. It's God taking my desires and my heart and transforming them to see that his desires are better. His heart is more pure. And his heart longs for better things than my heart could ever long for. And so we cling to that, that prayers to a loving father are effective because he knows what we need. He knows what we want. And his heart is way further down the line than ours is. But the first thing that we have to do, first thing I would challenge you with today is make sure that you have the correct picture of God in your head. Got to have the correct picture. There's a, a pretty famous theologian named D.A. Carson, and he says this. He says, what is, fundament, what is fundamentally at stake is man's picture of God. God must not be thought of as a reluctant stranger who can be cajoled or bullied into bestowing his gifts or viewed as a malicious tyrant who takes vicious glee in the tricks he plays or even viewed as an indulgent grandfather who provides everything requested of him. He is the heavenly father, the God of the kingdom who graciously and willingly bestows the good gifts of the kingdom in answer to prayer. See, your picture of God, your picture of who he is, what he values, what his nature is, that directly impacts how you will respond to him and listen to him and talk to him. He is good, and he loves you, and he wants what's best for you, and more importantly, he knows what's best for you, and he will give you what's best for you. And so there's something I want you to do this week. I want you to go home and Google Bible verses about God, okay? You do it on your computer, on your tablet, on your phone, I don't care. And here's what's going to come up. You're going to see an ad. It's always an ad. But then you're going to see some, some links you can click, things like 
31 Bible verses about God or 95 Bible verses about God. I want you to click that link because here's what you're going to see. I want you to see what God is like. And you're going to see verses that people lay out for you. You're going to see verses that say things like loving and patient, kind, forgiving, gracious, righteous, just, holy, perfect. You're going to see that he gives courage. You're going to see that he provides healing. You're going to see that he's a father to those who need it. He's a brother to those who need it. He's a friend to those who need it. You're going to see that that's who's standing on the other side of the door. That's who's waiting on the other side of the question. That's, who's, that's who it is that we're seeking in the midst of prayer. Got to have a right picture of who this God is. And when you have that, I want to challenge you. Because some of you came in with stuff today, right? When you're thinking about, there's stuff waiting for you at work tomorrow. There's things waiting for you at home. There are issues that you're not sure how you're going to handle. There are needs that you're not sure how you're going to come up with. There are questions that you need the answer to. And I want to challenge you. If you've been asking, if you've been seeking, if you've been knocking and it feels like it's enough, feels like it's not working, it feels like you need to stop, ask him one more time. Ask him one more time. Seek his will one more time. Knock on his door one more time. Keep asking because he wants you to. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to pound on his door. He wants you to seek his will. He wants you to ask him for the things that you need. He wants to be bothered by you because he loves you. Ask him one more time. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and um, they're both pretty new. I think they're actually both new to us here at Fieldstone. But the first one especially, just take the few minutes of that song. You can sing along if you want, but um, what I want to encourage you to do is take these few minutes and ask him one more time. I got something on my heart. Good chance you got something on your heart. Take these few moments to just Throw it at him one more time. Bother him one more time. And we can close in singing together. And the last song is great. It's called New Wine. And it really is basically saying, listen, we, we are the ones who are changed through this process. It feels like we're being pressed. It feels like we're being crushed. It feels like God's not answering. It feels like he's not there. But if we'll press through it and we'll keep asking and keep seeking, it's us who will be changed. And he'll turn us into something we never even imagined possible. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together, and I pray that um, as we have these last few moments together, that you would continue to work. Meet each one where they're at. And God, as we ask again, and as we seek again, and as we knock again, Father, I pray that you would keep your promises, that when we ask, we would receive, and when we seek, we would find it. When we knock, God, you would open the door and reveal to us everything that we need and that we know and that you want to give us. Amen.